we uh, also don't want to forget uh, Rebecca. I forgot to put her on our prayer list this morning, but uh, you know she's off in Mexico and uh, working at this rehab center, and so just remember to keep her in prayer as well. This morning, we're continuing in our series of uh, who we are in, in Christ, and our focus today is going to be that we are kings and priests. And the scripture that I'm going to, to uh, use primarily this morning is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So I'll read those, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also in the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Wait a minute. First Peter. Did I say First Peter? Yeah, I, I just I, my Bible was still open to Philippians. Yeah, I, w- I wished it was. <laughs> First uh, Peter chapter two, <laughs> verse four. As you come to him, referring to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in uh, in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that uh, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The focus is going to be on Verse uh, 5 and, and verses 9 and 10 dealing with priesthood, holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. But a quick look around the passage first. Uh, in verse 4, we have him referring to Christ who is a living stone and that he was chosen and precious in the sight of God, uh, quoting a, a scripture out of uh, Isaiah and in that picture of, of Jesus Christ, a living stone. And, and it's something that is... You know, appropriate when we think of terms of, of he is what? Our rock. Okay, our, the rock of our salvation. He's a living stone. And it says that, that within the framework of that, that he's going to be rejected by men. So keep that in your mind. He's a living stone. He's the God's chosen one. To, to, he's going to be the cornerstone, as we've read. But he's going to be rejected by men. This living stone that, that, that Peter is referring to is building a spiritual house. 
We'll get into the idea of, of, of the house of God, the temple, the, the, we as Christians are being in the temple, but not today. But that, he is building this spiritual house. And notice what his building materials are. You, yourselves. In other words, the readers of this, the Christians, the believers who are reading this Scripture, who are hearing this Scripture, he says, you, yourselves. And then he turns around and calls us living stones. So Christ, the living stone, is using us living stones to build this spiritual house. I think it's quite a picture. There was a, a, an illustration that was used of the idea of how uh, scaffolding comes together. If, if you, I don't know how many big buildings you've ever seen with, with, with scaffolding going up sometimes 15, 20 floors. And, and when I used to work with uh, Fuller's in San, in San Francisco, a couple of times I had to go out to some of those jobs. And, and you look at those buildings and you couldn't see, almost see the scaffolding and all the plywood that was up on the outsides to protect the people. You couldn't really see what it was going to be. But boy, when that scaffolding came down, you got to see this, this building. And these, in some cases, they were restored buildings. In other cases, brand new buildings. And you got to see how wonderful this, the work was that was being done. And I'm thinking as this guy was using the same idea for an illustration, we're still in the scaffolding stages. We can't see through it as to what this is going to be. But when Christ calls us home and, and, and it's all said and done, we will see this building as it is. And, and what a glorious thing that we have to look forward to. So we are, we are the living stones being put together by the living stone as a spiritual house. But here also we, we have the, the believers are called a holy priesthood in, in verse 4. Uh, and, and it says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of this spiritual house. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. I, I just I, that is one of those blessings that you don't really think much about, but we will not be put to shame. I think I've already mentioned it, but the idea is that we have a hope in Christ. But it's not that wishy-washy kind of hope, like, I hope the sun comes out today. <laughs> uh, you know, will it, will, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But, but it's a firm, absolute, confident hope. So that as we hope in this, we will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame. As we turn around and tell people what it is we believe in, and even if they ridicule us at some point in time, there's going to be a, a, a day declared by the Lord that every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will be victorious. We will not be put to shame. What a powerful thing to, to have as part of uh, who we are. Those who are resting in Christ. As a contrast, uh, is to those who are rejecting the living stone, they will stumble because they disobey the word. So all of that is 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 put together with this idea that that there is a a picture. Christ is in the process of building his kingdom, his body, the bride of Christ. All these different things that we'll be looking at his temple, and and right now he's Peter's using these pictures of of the living stone putting together. You yourselves, living stones, as the spiritual house of God. Yet there are those who will be looking at this and refusing it. In fact, the majority of people will look at this and re reject it. 
It says they disobey God's Word. And, and what they're disobeying is not only the Word, but they're actually disobeying what they could see clearly, according to Paul in Romans, in nature itself. There must be a God. When you look at, at, at the intricacies, and we still haven't scratched, I don't think, the real surface of, of the inner workings of, of science, let alone the, the, you know, the interstellar part of science you know, and, and, and all of that. We're still finding out new things all the time, constantly. I uh, had a teacher in high school, and this was even when I was in high school in the 60s, uh, they'd already started where we were that, you know, mentioning God and, and the Bible and stuff in, in the classroom wasn't allowed. We were truly an open type campus in that sense. And 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 so, uh, but I remember Mr. Blodgett would 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 still our science teacher would would say something, and he would use t- terms like uh, you know intelligent design and and all of this because he says as you look at it there must be a first cause. That was how he got away with it, you know. And and if you talk to him privately, then you'd find out exactly what he meant, and it's exactly what he did mean that there has to be an intelligent designer, God, who put this together. So, people are ignoring that. They're rejecting it. They're rejecting His Word. They're rejecting what they see. And as a result, it, they, they, you know, as they reject, it says uh, they were destined to, that, you know, there's a point where they are going to be set aside. They're not going to be a part of this picture of Christ. Talk about people who are going to be shamed. And I come back and I think of the message that uh, uh, Paul Clark had two weeks ago about the idea of, of looking at, at sin and, and that word of, uh, in the Japanese culture, shame. And all of a sudden that opens up their understanding. You know, and here it is for us. This idea of uh, there is no shame for us who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> but there is shame... There will be for those who reject Him. So, we have this, this picture, but in contrast to that is where, is where we come into the picture. Uh, it, verse 9 starts with the word, but, and, and when you see that, that means in, in, you know, as in contrast to something else. So, in contrast to the fact that there are those who stumble because they disobey the word, you are a chosen race, but you are a chosen race. You're not the ones who are going to stumble. You are a chosen race. You are distinct from that group. This is who you are. And we've talked about already this idea of being a chosen race. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. And, and he is, he, we're not going to go, I'm just not going to go into any more detail about that this morning. We, we've already covered that. But we are a chosen race. We are a chosen people. Uh, he goes on and says, a royal priesthood, and, and like I said in verse 4, a holy priesthood. We'll come back to those. We are a holy nation. The idea of being a, a holy nation is, is the idea of, of justified, set apart, sanctified. We are saints. Again, we've talked about those various uh, areas of who we are in Christ. We've been justified. We are saints. We are set apart. We are a holy people, a holy nation. And then it says that we are a people for His own possession. We sang that in a song already this morning too. We are a people for His, uh, for his own possession. He owns us. 
This is one thing that's hard for us as Christians to, to kind of let go of, is ownership of who we are. We are not the captains of our destiny. Christ is. He has gifted us. He has he's brought us along. He, he's working things around. In fact, He works everything around us to the good of the purpose of His kingdom's work and to us. And so, we rest with that and know that, that, that we are His possession. We are in Christ. And He is in us. And we, we have that confidence. So today as we look at this, we're going to look at this picture of, of royal priesthood, of a holy priesthood, and understand that with a priesthood comes the idea of a high priest. And I, I'm not going to go into lots of detail other than just to establish the fact that Jesus Christ is the high priest. You go through the book of Hebrews, especially and over and over again, it establishes this picture. There is a priesthood that is greater than what was established in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go through the book of Hebrews, which we're doing on Wednesday nights, it's talking about you know, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than, than you know, the, 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 the Old Testament priesthood, a high priest greater than. And, and, and so it's all to point to something that is greater than what has existed so far. It's the completion of what were types or, or, or like undeveloped photographs pointing to what, what was to come, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this picture of the royal priesthood, the holy priesthood, I was, you have to understand how this comes into to context for us today. It was part of, the, of the, the Reformation. This was one of the key points in the Reformation, along with uh, the idea of, of Scripture and only Scripture, uh, only faith, uh, you know, only Christ, you know, this idea of, of, of a priesthood of believers. This was so contrary to what Martin Luther had been steeped in. The Catholic Church had, had come in such a way that it had redeveloped the priesthood. And in order to approach the, uh, Christ, you had to come through a priest to do it. You couldn't come on your own. Okay, And as, as that developed, uh, you know, uh, people, it became more and more the, the, the norm and to the point where at the time of Martin Luther, it was, you know, you went to the priest to, to, to get your forgiveness. And, and he would approach the throne. And even the priest frequently wouldn't approach the throne directly into Jesus Christ, but come through Mary, who might have the ear of Christ. Or you might come through Mary in your, in your prayers, or you might come through various saints, but you didn't approach the throne directly. And Martin Luther recognized as, as he was also doing penance, which would, the priest would, would say, if you want forgiveness for sins, you have to do so many works. And, and Martin Luther, in the fact, in the midst of doing his works, came to the conclusion as he was studying with the book of Romans and everything else, it just kind of hit him. Wait a minute. This isn't how it, how it comes together. We don't get saved by our works. We don't get saved by our, our works. We get saved by God's grace. And one of the areas that he looked at was, wait, we are all priests. There isn't a priesthood separate. All the believers are priests. The royal priesthood, priesthood of believers, the holy priesthood. 
This is what, what we're, we're told that we are. And so let's look at that from that perspective. What does it mean to be part of a priesthood? And, and uh, when Martin Luther and, and later on Jonathan Edwards and, and later on Charles Spurgeon, as they looked at this with especially the word royal priesthood, they looked at it as, and the word royal uh, in a very specific sense of the idea of kings. We are kings. But understand how they looked at that. Kings, little k. There's only one king, capital K. And so again, we come to that picture. King of kings. The king, capital K, of kings, small k. But we are part of a royal court. We are part of a royal priesthood. And what that meant to, to these people that were in, 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 in this, that went through Martin, you know, going back to the, 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 the Reformation and then actually going into the, second, the First Great Awakening where Jonathan Edwards was involved, they looked at it as people of all walks of life. They didn't look at just the idea of priesthood being something like, well, you practice your, 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 your priesthood at, at church. The idea was that you are a priest 24-7. You are constantly a priest. So if you were a person, and, and they used very specific you know, pictures, if you were a one who milked the cows, you were a priest. If you were the one who owned the cows, you were a priest. And not a higher priest than the one milking the cows. And for that matter, though the one who might be in the pulpit was not a higher priest than the one milking the cows. We are all priests together and of the same rank. No one is of a higher rank before the throne of God. No one has more grace. No one has more salvation. No one is more saved than. We are all equal before the throne of God. There is no distinction as far as male or female or Jew or Greek or slave or non-slave. It doesn't matter. We are all the same before the throne of God. There was a quote that I, I picked up on Martin Luther that said that he anticipated that the idea of priesthood of believers would be as popular a term as calling ourselves Christians. Somewhere, something got lost. We don't use that term very often. Normally, only when it comes up in Scripture like we're talking about today. And the idea is that almost everybody that I could look at that is contemporary was saying the same thing. We need to be reminded constantly and that we are a part of the priesthood of believers. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. Whether you're a one who plows the fields, milking the cows, or a merchant, or a government employee, or a soldier, it didn't matter what you are, if you are in Christ, you are a part of the priesthood. And as a result, which was something that Paul liked to emphasize, was we do whatever it is we do unto the Lord. I, I want to be the best at whatever it is I do, not because I've got a boss who is watching me, being what he, Paul would call a man-pleaser, but to be the best because I want to praise God. I want to be known as one who strives to be the best I can be for what God has given me to use. 
So with whatever skills I have, I am to serve God as a priest. And the idea here is, is, is worship. And, and worshiping God as you use your gifts, that's an act of worship. If God has given you the ability to do something and you do it and, and you're doing it to His glory, it's an act of worship. And so keep all of that in mind as, as we look at this. Uh, we are serving the Lord in everything that we do. Uh, again, this idea of a royal priesthood uh, was a problem for the Jews. The word royal and priesthood were not supposed to go together. Now, this means we have to go back to the Old Testament and look at what was going on. Now, who were the priests? Where did it start? Well, we go back to Moses and, and Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. And the lineage of, of the high priest came through the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi. And so, if you weren't of the tribe of Levi, an ancestor of Aaron, you would not be allowed to be a priest. So, the priesthood was limited to a, one specific group of people. The tribe of, of, of Aaron, the, Levit- the Levite tribe. If you were of royalty, you were of the tribe of Judah. And so the two would not mix. In fact, there's two instances in Scripture where the two uh, were attempted to be mixed uh, by two different kings. And in both cases, the consequences were severe. And, uh, and so this was something that was absolutely separate. And yet we turn around and now we're putting them together. Royalty and priesthood. Kings and priests together. Where do we see this most clearly? We see it in Christ. Christ declared that he it was his kingdom. He was the king of a kingdom. He also was uh, a, a declaring himself as, as ultimately as the well the scripture does as a high priest. The Jews would look at that and say you can't have those two together. And on top of that, Jesus also a prophet. Prophet, king, and high priest? No, can't come together. How does this come together? How does this happen? Well, it's because there is actually an older priesthood in Scripture than that of Aaron and the Levites. In order to to get into that, and we're not going to have time this morning to get into a detailed study on this, but it goes back to to Abraham and and Genesis chapter 14, where he had uh, defeated the... Uh, uh, the kings that had raided the the village, uh, the the city of where Lot was, and all, and and uh, they were bringing back the spoils, and they met a king of Salem. His name was Melchizedek, and it noted that he was the king of Salem, and that he was the high priest. He was both. Now, when Abraham recognized who he was. He wasn't requested. Well, there was no demand made on him. He gave a tithe, a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. Now, you have to understand that is, you know, and Melchizedek turns around and gives him a blessing. You can only be blessed by the one that is greater than yourself. And so Melchizedek is set up here. And then he's not brought back in the picture until Psalm 110. 
And then we're told that there's going to be, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to paraphrase it and put it quickly together. It tells us basically that the Son of God is going to be a priest forever under the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Not Aaron, but Melchizedek. And so you go to Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, and then it kind of brings this together, explains that. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 7 just real quickly. Just the first uh, uh, few verses. Uh, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. He is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. This is the priesthood of Melchizedek. This is where Jesus is the high priest. Some people say that that we have a Christophany, which means an actual picture of of Christ appearing here. Uh, It's nothing less than a type, meaning one that reflects the Christ. And and so uh, we have that that this king who's there. And it's interesting that goes on and talks about it, and and it says that Abraham tithed, and as a result, someone who wasn't even born yet but considered his seed in his loins tithed therefore also, even though he hadn't been born because Abraham tithed. It was a representation of his genealogy would have done the same. And guess who that would be? Includes Levi. So theoretically, Levi had tithed to Melchizedek, recognizing a superior priesthood. This priesthood, through this priesthood, and, and, and it goes, like I said, verses, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 go into detail about it. We find that as we approach into Hebrews chapter 10, that uh, we are allowed access to the throne. We can approach the throne of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have now the ability through Christ Jesus to approach the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 4 also talks about for mercy and grace. And I used that in our prayer time this morning. We are allowed to approach the holy places. That was something even the Levitical priesthood could not do as a whole. In fact, only one priest was allowed to approach the holy places, the holy of holies, and that was once a year. And that wasn't until he had offered a a sacrifice for himself and his own sins that he would go in and bring the sacrifice of the people and put it on the mercy seat of God behind the veil, the the curtain, uh, in the Holy of Holies. And that was it. That was the only exposure. Anybody else that did other than that 
met the consequences of death. And that did happen. In fact, to the point where uh, there were seasons where they, they actually put a rope on the high priest when he went in just to be sure in case the offering went wrong or something, they could, they could pull him out. But now we have access. We have access. Through Jesus Christ, yes, our high priest, but we have direct access. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through someone who has the ear of Christ or the ear of God in some special way. We go direct. We are the priesthood of believers. We are allowed to access the throne of God directly. And we have access to the holy place. The holy of holies. How does that happen? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 27 is the one that we would use coming up in a, and, and uh, as we'll go through the book of Matthew and finish it up this next uh, fall. Is Matthew 27 verse 51 says that as Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and, and several things happening, but the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. Now, if you go in through Scripture and... and uh, in our Bible study in Hebrews, people we were asking, you know, how was this veil, veil put together? Well, the veil in, in Herod's temple isn't the same veil that was in the temple of, of the tabernacle. So some of those things didn't correspond. But I did some research on it. And between Josephus and the Talmud and a few other things, you, you find out that this was a heavily woven, 24 strands of, uh, of, of fiber together. Uh, and then those woven together in just this, this huge, massive veil, it would take 300 priests to move it. It was so heavy. 20 cubits, 60 feet long, and it just huge, heavy veil. They say that it was a palm's width of thickness. So, you know, you, you think of a, a curtain, we normally think of a piece of material. The, the palm's width of thickness. And it had no seam in it. The high priest had to go around the edge of it. There was no opening in the middle. And, and so the, when you, the other priests were serving, there was nothing that they could do that could disturb them. Even if a wind were to come in, that veil was so heavy it wouldn't move. And there was no seam in the middle to ever go partially apart so that they could see. And at the time that Christ died on the cross, and by the way, there were some priests in the temple doing their service, and, 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 and the veil was rent in two from top to bottom. I would imagine those guys were running. That's my personal opinion. Nothing is said about who they were and what they were doing. But if, you know, if uh, uh, angels put the fear of, uh, you know, of, of God's judgment into people... The, the, cur- the veil being rent in two certainly would. And the picture of that is the reality is that Jesus Christ is the veil and He has been torn for us. We come through Christ the veil. In other words, we have access to the Holy of Holies. And I'll repeat something I've repeated frequently and that is from uh, the, the uh, A.W. Tozer. He said, Jesus did not die on the cross for us to occasionally catch a glimpse of the Holy of Holies. We are a priesthood of believers. We are to dwell there. Isn't that a powerful picture? Because of what Christ has done, 
what man had no access to except one, now we collectively together have access to. You come into the holy place. You bring our praises. You bring our worship. And we are called. It tells us very clearly here, uh, holy priesthood, priesthood uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices. And uh, I you know, was putting together a list of, of, of spiritual sacrifices. The one that would, came to my mind first was one that probably many of you would do, and that was offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice so that we won't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Changed, metamorphosed, changed in 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 the sense of of who we are in Christ and becoming more Christ-like. But there's others too. Philippians chapter two verse seventeen says, uh, "Bring a sacrifice, uh, the sacrificial offering of your faith." Our offering, you know, is is a, a, an offering of, of faith. Sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving from Hebrews chapter thirteen. Uh, and also Hebrews chapter 13 talking about the sharing of our resources as being a sacrifice of, of, of worship. Meeting each other's needs. And then the overall picture as we start to put it together and we look through Ephesians and Philippians and other places as well, we realize that, that this act of worship is, a, is, is something that we do collectively together and it's not something we can do only by ourselves. Now, it doesn't mean we can't worship by ourselves. But worship is at its crescendo when we are worshiping together and we are ministering one to another and building each other up. Using our gifts that God has given us as an act of worship, ministering one to another. All of this is that idea of bringing an offering to the Lord. What God has given us, we we, we bring back to, to, to be used for His kingdom's work. He calls us to evangelize. He calls us to, to do so many different things. And people say, well, if God knows the beginning from the end, why do we need to evangelize? The picture of, of, of one thing is very clear. And that is that He has invited us to participate in the work of His kingdom. What an honor! We're so busy splitting hairs over other things that we miss the, the, the big picture that we are invited to participate in the kingdom's work. He's chosen to use us to bring about the results that He's already said are going to happen. But He's invited us to be a part of that. And we get to. What an amazing thing. We should be excited about that. We should be enthusiastic about that. Our ministry one to another. Ministry to the world. Proclaiming Christ's love. And it says very clearly here, he's in, uh, again in First uh, Peter, uh, he says, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. We sang out of darkness into a light, or light into darkness this morning as well. Uh, to proclaim the excellencies. He alone is worthy. He is excellent in all that He does. Everything He does, He does absolutely perfect. He makes no mistakes. I don't know how many times in my life I have second-guessed God. But I've spent a lot of time doing it. And then it comes back to that reality. 
I don't know what He's doing, but He does. And He's never late. He's always exactly on time. And He never makes a mistake. And His purposes will be accomplished according to His plan, which He, again, before the foundation of the world, in reference to the kingdom and the people in it. The last verse that we we looked at this morning, verse 10, shows us that we indeed are a changed people. Once you were not a people, but contrast, but now you are God's people. Once you were not a people, we were in darkness. Now you are God's people. We are in light. Once you had not received mercy, we were in darkness. But now you have received mercy. We are in light. We were of the darkness. We are now of the light. We are a different people. We think in a different way. Are we perfect yet? No. We still have grappled. We dealt with this in a couple of other messages already. We're still in this fallen, earthly tent. And it craves out to be satisfied by its own, its own desires, if you will. And so there's a war going on with us. But the idea is, is that we even recognize that there's a war. Before I was a believer, I didn't, it didn't bother me. After becoming a Christian, I started to see the things that, that, that were not of God and watching to see things change in my life. And and one of the interesting things is is that the list hasn't gotten smaller as I've gotten older. The longer I walk in Christ, the the bigger the list has gotten. The smaller some of the items are. Someone else might look at that and say, you think that's a sin? Well, it's something that's hampering me in my walk to to approach the throne of God. Those are all acts of of light coming into darkness. God has has brought the light into my house, if you will. (laughs) I, I look at it as a picture. Uh, Christ came into my life and He came into the entryway of my home. But I still kept rooms closed to Him. But He walks down the hallway and His light kind of feeds underneath the door. So you know how that happens. And that little bit of light you know, seeps in. And then you realize, I, I, want him, I want Him to have control of this part too, and this part too, and this part too. And, and we get to that point where I think it's the uh, Campus Crusade, I think is the one that uses the picture of, of, of uh, the closet, one closet left. And he opens the closet door and it's all the crowns I've hidden from him. <laughs> you know, uh, things that I'm still in charge of in my life. And he finally gets to that point and, 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 and we're, we're surrendering. He's in the process of changing us from darkness to light. We weren't His people, now we are. We didn't have mercy, now we do. And it's changed how we think. We no longer think like those who are not redeemed. We no longer think like those who are stumbling over Christ. We no longer think like those who are in darkness. All because of what Christ has done for us. Before the foundation of the world, through the finished work of Christ, the plan that would show the finished work of Christ on the cross. God has brought us into the light. 
I'd ask the uh, ushers to come forward, pass out the communion, and hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.